0: Welcome to The Red Podcast, a place where bold, inspired, outrageously courageous, and just a tad bit naughty women leaders come together. I'm Elaine Kalila, and I'm the founder of the Priestess Presence Temple, a sisterhood of over 80,000 women. For the past 25 years, I've had the great pleasure and privilege of supporting, inspiring, catalyzing, and initiating women to remember who they are The Red Podcast is a place where you can come to lean into your edges, listen for that which yearns to be expressed more fully through you, and to say yes to the places that probably scare you. More importantly, I'm going to be talking with some amazing women who are spiritual and grounded, and we're going to be chatting about what it takes for each one of us to step into the legacy of our purpose and fully bring it to the world that we're here to co-create. Your presence is a gift, so I say bring it. We're here to listen to your red, your leading edge, that place of evolution within you. Hope you enjoy the conversations. Well, hello, hello there, my beautiful red women holding the red thread, those of you who are on the edge of your own evolution, exploring what it means to be a woman in leadership, a woman who's coming from the heart and the body and the soul of what it means to rebalance the feminine on our planet. And I, today, am so excited. I am here to introduce you to a fellow Magdalene sister. Her name is Annabelle De Boule. Hello, Annabelle.
1: Hi Elaine, thank you so much for inviting me on this podcast. Oh my goodness. Well, I'm going to share with you all
0: how I came across Annabelle, because it's quite a story here. So I first came across Annabelle and I, I was searching something to do with the Venus cycle and the Rose sisters and this whole piece online. And I was like, where are all my Rose sisters? Who are these women who understand something about the power of this sisterhood of the Rose? And we're going to be talking much more about that today, what that even means. Um And Annabelle's name picked picked up off the screen, like it does, you know, when you go on those mad rides down the interwebs of the world. And I took one look at her and I was like, oh, she's fascinating. I really want to listen more because one of the things I love about Annabelle, and you're going to get to learn this about her today, is not only is she an exquisite scholar of the divine feminine mysteries, which just makes my heart flutter because I, you all know that I'm a big old nerd over Mm -hmm. here, But she's also someone who's on the path of initiation as a priestess in her own life and really applying what could be these very esoteric, very um, far-flung mysteries and myths and, and blueprints of our Divine Feminine Mystery journey, but really bringing it into what does it mean to walk that now as a woman in 2022 with the initiations that we face on our planet right now. So I was following that track and I happened to be in Avalon in the Summerlands in Glastonbury this year and I was leading a retreat there and I looked upon the Goddess Conference and I had said I wanted to um just this extraordinary event that happens in Glastonbury I think almost every year and I saw that Annabelle was presenting she was going to be at the Goddess Conference and so I got to lay eyes on her I got to be around you and um and and I just was like fascinated and wanted to have this conversation. So what we're going to be talking about today, and this is going to get really um, into some of the depths, is we're going to be talking about the the ancient Venus cycle. So the cycle of the Venus's journey through the upper world and the underworld, and its connection into then the myth of Inanna and her descent to meet her dark sister Ereshkigal, and then we're going to be mapping that onto the Sophia myth, and then we're going to be talking about. <laughs> because this is the world we live in. And how, what, what does that mean for us? Like, how does that apply to our lives? So Annabelle, I'd love to just invite you to begin by sharing a little bit about what brought you onto the path of the goddess of awakening your journey to reclaim these divine feminine mysteries. Um, I'd love to hear you share that. And I'm going to weave a little bit of my story in there because the other thing is I recognize we're sharing today. You're going to hear pieces of your story because I think many, many of us have a lot of synchronicities and similarities in the stories. So wherever you want to begin, my love, I mean, I can't wait. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much, love. So, um, just as you have said, my my wife well, literally spent the last three decades weaving both my academic research and my lived embodied experience of goddess. And um, when I look back, I was 19 on a beach in Thailand when I read all the Greek myths for the first time in preparation for my English degree. And um, And then the following summer, I began to spend every summer in this very rural village in southern Italy. Okay. And that was my initiation onto the path of the Black Madonna. So I became absolutely fascinated by this interplay between uh, Catholicism and really what was a very ancient devotion to the Black Earth Mother Goddess. So Mama, who was my Italian Mama in this little village, <laughs> would... Uh, slice the throat with the chicken and then she would offer its blood to the earth with a prayer to the Madonna. And this absolutely fascinated me how their lives were so interwoven with the cycles of nature, of the earth and yet at the same time in devotion to the Madonna and to the Black Madonna. And so this really set me on my path. Um, and I then traveled to Peru and I lived in Peru for nearly a year and I lived in the house of a shaman, um, whilst I was working with orphans out there. And we traveled all over Peru, um, with him and spent some time with one of the last tribes in the Amazon. And that was really my initiation onto the path of Pachamama. Um, but at the same time, so conscious also of the way in which the Madonna was worshipped in South America in this very paganistic way, where the paintings of her, she always has a naked breast, feeding her baby with the drops of milk flowing. So again, there was this incredible weaving of ancient pagan devotion to Pachamama, to the earth goddess, um, and then seeing that within Gnosticism. Mm. So when I returned to London, I went back to university and I did my master's and PhD research specializing in this interplay. So I looked at uh, the comparison between what I call goddess theology, which is goddess paganism, and goddess theology, looking specifically at early Gnostic Christianity. So I became an expert in peeling back the layers of patriarchal manipulation and distortion um, in order to um, get to the real meaning, the true teachings of early Gnostic Christianity, which is, of course, based on millennia of this incredible pagan tradition, which through my years of study, I came to name it the Rose lineage because Mm. I could trace uh, the myths and the rituals all the way from ancient Sumerian, ancient Mesopotamia down through ancient Judaism, ancient Egypt, the ancient Greco-Romano Pantheon, and then the early Christian Gnostics who then brought those teachings back to Avalon, to Glastonbury. Um, And then uh, halfway through my PhD, I gave birth to my eldest daughter and I knew I needed to call her Sophia Mary. And although I had studied Sophia as the black goddess of wisdom, both Greco and um, Gnostic, I didn't really have an embodied experience of who Sophia was. Mm. and my daughter was born uh, with a life-threatening syndrome and she had life-saving surgery at birth and then over the um, following five years I nursed her through 12 more operations and numerous hospitalizations and she was the one who came in as my greatest teacher and she led me repeatedly on a deeply embodied sophianic descent and ascent of the soul until we literally became the living embodiment of the myth of Sophia. And so the myth of the sophi- of Sophia is the later Gnostic myth mm-hmm. of the descent and ascent of the soul, which is of course founded on the ancient Sumerian myth of the descent and ascent of the Inanna Ishtar, which in turn is inspired by the movement of the planet Venus, um, and then when I was uh, when Sophia was two, I began my Priestess of Avalon training with the Glass Temple in Glastonbury, and that became my uh, my healing. So I would come to Glastonbury every six to eight weeks for a weekend, and I would sit in circle with my sisters. And I would journey on these lands and with the goddesses and with the mythos, and I would cry and rage and release all my shadow emotions um, that was such an uh, inherent part of that journey of nursing my daughter and witnessing her suffering. Um, And then I would return home completely vitalized with the strength to continue to nurse her. And I would travel up and down our two main Dragon Ley Lines, the Mary Michael Ley Lines from my home um, in Buckinghamshire and Hertfordshire during those years um, where I lived on the Mary Ley Line. And then traveled down that sort of energetic Dragon Lines to Glastonbury. So I was sort of very energetically connected the whole time. Um, and then uh, I was very blessed to give birth to my second daughter Jasmine on the original date of Beltane that was an incredibly healing experience to um, experience the gift of birthing a healthy baby Um, and then uh, I was pregnant with my son um, six months pregnant with my son when we finally moved to Glastonbury and um Avalon is, is an incredible place. Like she, she calls you and she will block you. Like I tried to move here two times, um, and, but eventually she opened the gateway and, and we arrived. And I had just published uh, my novel, The Serpent's Tale, which I wrote during that nine-year period when I was nursing my daughter And I channeled all my postgraduate research into this book, which is set in uh, the village where I lived in Sussmanet. And it's set at the time of the witch bannings. And I basically channeled all my research into that book. So it is, um, in uh, in one part, it is a polemic. It is um, uh, an attack on patriarchal religion. Um, and uh, very focused on women's rights, especially women's reproductive rights. Um, mm. But it also explores the myth of Demeter and Persephone, which of course is, is <laughs> another precursor to the myth of, of Sophia. Um, and it reclaims the role of priestess. Mm. Um, and uh, it follows a villagers' fight to save their wise women from the fires. So um, I was six months pregnant with my son and I gave a talk at the goddess conference, which I've worked <laughs> at for 21 years now. And um, I, in that talk, I explained what I had learned from this experience and, and that I uh, had come to deeply understand in my body and in my psyche and soul who Sophia was, mm. who the Black Goddess of Wisdom is. Um, and I shared my philosophy of life or my philosophy, mm. uh, a love of wisdom that I had learned, um, and that it is within those deepest shadow journeys of ours that we find not only her light of wisdom, which is what guides us and rebirths us out of those shadows, but we find the light of our own soul deep within mm. emotional places. And so um, it felt very much uh, like I had thrown a gauntlet to, to not only life but to Avalon, because Avalon is the Isle of Death, transformation, and rebirth. And she uh, strips us bare. She strips mm-hmm. us what I feel is back to ashes, mm-hmm. so that we can rebirth ourselves from, you know, those fertile ashes of our own soul experience. Um, and so three months later, I gave birth to my son and he was born with a even more life-threatening syndrome. So he was born unable to breathe, feed, speak, or smile with a paralyzed face and tongue. <sighs> and that was an even deeper initiation, not just for me, but for our entire family. Yeah. Um, and through that experience, um, we literally lived on the bridge between life and death um, for for uh, intensely for many months because I was having to resuscitate him several times a day for months oh under interesting situations. Wow. Um, but before for years, I mean, his airway didn't stabilize for many many years. And um, on that first year following his uh, birth, I really ran on adrenaline just focusing on keeping him alive. And then when his airway stabilized somewhat, that's when the rage came. Mm -hmm. And that was the worst descent I have ever experienced because I did not recognize myself. I lost the capacity to feel compassion. Mm -hmm. And I had always been such a compassionate person, working mental health, um, which required vast amounts of patience and compassion and love. And it was 18 months mm-hmm. before I was able to truly feel compassion again. And so what I did in a very similar way to what I did after um, I birthed Sophia is I used creativity mm-hmm. and my spiritual um, path as precepts to heal myself. And so this time I spent nine months, a literal nine months gestation, painting the healing womb, And I painted four vast um, paintings of Mother of Lost, Hecate; Mother of Solitude, Lilith, Mother of Healing, Bridget, and Mother of Compassion, Kuan Yin. And I literally painted my way through my grief, my rage, uh, and then with Lilith just deeply experiencing that sense of intense aloneness that comes when we're journeying in the dark. Mm in the shadow places, even though we may be surrounded by people who love us mm-hmm. and support us. Everyone I know listening will recognize that feeling of utter aloneness when we're in those depths. And then coming back to a place of being able to receive healing from Bridget, that just incredibly powerful Rose Celtic goddess who has walked with my family really since Sophia's birth. Um, and it's synonymous to the black goddess Sophia in her role as Lady of alchemia And then coming back to Kuan Yin's energies of compassion and then allowing ourselves to be reborn mm. from the shadow places of rage and despair and terror and intense grief. Um, until we now find ourselves, you know, in the place of the gift of the blessing of that mm-hmm. experience as a family. And um, I know your listeners will all have their own unique stories. I call them our stories of survival, where we have journeyed into those shadows mm-hmm. and been reborn. And then we are blessed by the gifts that we then mm-hmm. bring from those experiences. That once we're once we're whole again, once we're back in our power, Mm -hmm. we can then share with others Mm -hmm. and be those gifts of greater wisdom, compassion, love, strength, courage, creative inspiration. Um, But for me, I think one of the greatest learnings from all that experience was that it was not goddess who was doing that to me, who was somehow punishing me, but it was actually my soul that had chosen those experiences so I could become the woman and the priestess I am. And that it was she who was holding me in those depths and rebirthing me.
0: (sighs) Wow. Well, I'm stunned in the sense of just the beauty and the power, the pain all of it, right? The I often think about the word ecstasy, and I always say that ecstasy isn't all just about bliss. Ecstasy is the the range of emotion or feeling from bliss through to deepest grief, and they sit together on a continuum that comes together within us, right? And the path mm-hmm. of the priestess, as you said, is, is that recognition. I think that key point that you just made, which has been so seminal in my life, and I know is at the heart of, the teachings that I sit in and obviously the teachings you sit in, which is that it is by conscious choice. I am here now. And that this, whatever these journeys are that we get initiated into in life, which we would never frankly wish on our worst enemy, right? I know we've all had those experiences where we're like, I would never wish this on anyone. And yet- Within that journey lie the, lie, lie those seeds of the reclamation of the truth of who we are. And one of the things I have to share with you, Annabelle, and I'm so curious as you're all listening to this, because I, I, I'd love to hear from all of you what your stories are in terms of, you know, where the overlays are, where we meet on the road. But, um, one of the things that just was so synonymous for me was, you know, I'm now 54. And when I was 46, I felt pregnant for the first time in this life. I didn't think I could have children. Um, I had given up that whole journey and I felt pregnant at 46 and, um, I miscarried at 16 weeks and, um, and that it, it was a baby girl and her name was Sophia Magdalena. And that was for me, one of the most excruciating journeys of my life to be given the gift of life and then to have that ripped away out of the womb and threw me into, this happened eight, nine, nearly 10 years ago now, right? And so, um, and and she's my spirit child, my spirit baby, right? It's always with me. And she was the one that actually propelled me onto the pathway of the deeper mystery and the Magdalene journey. Up until that point, I had been much more in a broader um excavation of the goddess, and she was the one that initiated me onto the Sophia path, onto the Rose Mysteries, onto all of this. All of this that's happened and why I'm sitting here in the Red Podcast is because of her. She was the one that basically has counseled me and has been the higher consciousness that's been like, no, this is the way forward. This is what you're to do next. Um And so when I heard your story about birthing your Sophia and what she initiated you into, I was like, wow, I wonder how many other women... <laughs> have been been bringing through the spirit of Sophia through their wombs, right? At this time, whether you birth the baby into physical form or it becomes a spirit baby. And so that's an inquiry I have. So if any of you out there have got that story, I would love to hear because I think part of what we're doing and part of what I so respect about what you've just shared in your own story and your own study is we are reclaiming and remapping, right? Right. The journey of the divine feminine, the journey of the soul's descent and ascent. Mm-hmm. And we've been missing this whole descent journey from our liturgical understanding. It's been called hell, by the way, that descent journey. It's been reframed in a way that's not very helpful for us. And we've been focused very much on the ascent, right? We've got to get out of here. The afterlife, that's where you're going to really have a good life and you have to be a good person. You know, I, we know the whole rhetoric. So I'd love to have you talk a little bit more about this connection, um, Annabelle, between the ancient understanding of the Venus Cycle and these stories, these myths that have grown out of the landscape of that understanding from ancient peoples that we've been passed down with, that we're still living within, that these myths are still so current for us. And I think for the sisters who are listening here, I think understanding what it means when we talk about the Rose Lineage what that actually is, because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding or like, well, what does that really mean? And Mm. I know that from your study and from hearing you speak, you have a beautiful way of talking about that. So if you might share a bit about that, I think it'd be amazing.
1: Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. So so, uh, one of my soul's home is Mount Sinai and I was very blessed um, to uh, journey up there on my camel to watch the <laughs> That's wow. such a
0: great image uh,
1: <laughs> right just near my camel and my bedroom guide <laughs> and um, for me mount sinai is the cradle of the rose lineage um, there is a cave there where i experience the spirits of the grandmothers and they for me are the wisdom keepers of the rose Mm -hmm. And I believe that after the crucifixion, that Joseph of of Arimathea took Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene um, to those caves. Mm -hmm. So um, when I was up there the second time, um, we arrived quite early um, at the top of the mountain. And so I was led into this sort of cave at the back of this inn. I was the only woman, there were all these Bedouin men. Uh, and so they very kindly just let me into this room and they piled lots of blankets on me. And they said, you know, we'll come and get you just before dawn, but you sleep now. Well, I mean, it was absolutely freezing. And I dropped into really the deepest, State I've ever been in, where I was just receiving transmission after transmission from all the deities and guides there. And I know I've been there. I know I lived in those caves in a past life. And um, the message that I got so clearly that night was, the secret is in the rose. And at the time, I didn't really understand consciously what that meant. So, although I'd been studying all of this for years, I didn't fully comprehend it. Mm-hmm. And then, quite soon after, um, I rented a cottage in the Black Mountains in Wales. And I hid myself away with half my esoteric library, which is colossal. I mean, I had boxes and boxes of books and files in my car. And I had no internet, no phone signal. And I was just on a thousand sheep <laughs> farm <laughs> for company. And that was, one of again, one of the most incredible weeks of my life because I was just receiving transmission after transmission whilst I was um, reading all my books. And that's when um, I came to really understand the importance of Venus or the whole of not only the Rose lineage, but the Celtic Druidic lineage. And so what I love studying, the more recent archeologists, or recent interpretations of the archeology span in Neolithic Britain, where um, instead of uh, believing that the megalithic structures that were built then were burial mounds, which they were used as later, What they have now realized because of their alignment to the stars Mm -hmm. is that they were most likely built as resurrection ritual chambers that were aligned to the heliacal rising of Venus, Mm -hmm. of Sirius, and of the winter solstice sun. So, uh, what you can then see is how these like origin our uh, myths from those Neolithic ancestors were then taken to ancient Mesopotamia. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, ancient Sumeria is known as the cradle of civilization because it was the first culture to actually write this mythos down. Yeah. But all the evidence suggests that actually our ancestors were tracking and worshiping the Venus cycle uh, way back in the Neolithic era, but obviously just Ooh. not writing it down. You're total chills. Right. and then and then so in ancient Sumeria they are the first culture who actually write down the myth of the descent of Inanna who is later Ishtar in Babylon and that is completely inspired by the cycle of the planet Venus mm-hmm. and so for those of you who aren't aware um, Venus has an eight year cycle of a five 19 month synodic periods And within each 90-month synodic period, uh, she has seven waning moon conjunctions, which is the descent down the seven gates. Uh, She has a period in the underworld, or the Celtic otherworld, usually of three lunations, which is where we get this concept of the three days um, in the underworld, or the three days for when Yeshua died and was resurrected, But in in this uh, cycle, it's three lunations, And then we have the seven waxing moon Venus conjunctions where we come back up those seven gates. And then we have this amazing period when Venus goes retrograde. And now some astrologers uh, see that as a descent, but I don't because we've already done the descent Mm -hmm. and, and the ascent. So for me, that is the period when Inanna Isha and we and Venus, I feel, go into the desert like Lilith. And that is where we come fully into our own power with that solar conjunction where there is the sacred marriage within us before we are then reborn as Queen. And so that, that part in the cycle, for me, is absolutely fundamental because that's when we come home to our soul, to our essential self, through and then through that sacred marriage are able to rebirth our divine magical child self into another aspect of its being. Um, and so this myth of the descent of Inanna, um follows this, seven uh, lunation descent and at each gate inanna is invited uh, to release either a garment she's wearing or an object she's carrying and these symbolize um, things that we have internalized mm-hmm. or shadow thoughts, behaviors, behaviors um, that are not um, coming from a place of truth and authenticity and empowerment. They're typically internalized behavior from mm-hmm. patriarchal society. Um, and so for me, it's not so much a descent into the darkness. Um, and this is what I teach my Rose membership, mm-hmm. where we track the being cycle. For me, it's an unveiling of those constructs or those defenses that are actually keeping us separate from our essential self and our soul. Yeah. So that's what I, liked, I like to think of it as, is like the, you know, the dance of the seven veils, it is the unveiling of each of our utter beauty and soul light. Okay. And then we have this period um, where Inanna meet with Ereshkigal, her shadow sister, who is, of course, the embodiment of her shadow self, and she enters the underworld naked, vulnerable, stripped of all Mm. defences. And so we have this incredible period of being, being in Mm. the darkness and coming home to ourselves um, in total self-acceptance, in all our shadow and light. And then... She is reborn uh, as the evening star with the uh, next solar conjunction. And she begins her ascent up these seven gates. And at each gate, Inanna Ishtar takes back that garment um, or or the rod that she's holding. And the way I work with it is that this is an opportunity at each gate to reclaim your dreams, your inspirations, um, and to really bring them in to your soul, into your body, so that by the time you've come to uh, that place when Venus is retrograde, or and I like to feel that we're in the desert, mm. that you are coming to that place from a, a total self empowerment. Mm and an inspiration and of knowledge of who am I? Why am I here? Why has my soul contracted to be on earth at this time? Um, what are my soul gifts? What, are, what is my path of gnosis that is coming from my stories of survival? And when I weave those together, those innate soul gifts of my divine magical child self and those gifts of gnosis that are coming from my stories of survival, what am I here to do? Who am I? What is my gift to the world? And that time in the desert is when we can really become very, very crystal clear with our intention. Mm. Mm. And then when we are reborn as Queen, that's when we come to that place of empowerment where we manifest and share those gifts with the world. Um, Oof,
0: what a journey. I, I, thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> I, I, and as we're listening to this, I just want you to all feel how many times in your life you've been on this journey, because this is encoded. This is not something that's external to us. This is in our cellular memory. This is in our DNA. This is part of what it means to be in our humanity and be on the journey of the soul's incarnation through many, many existences, many lifetimes. You know, we are born and die and are reborn many times within one life. And I know that one of the things that's been so extraordinarily powerful for me personally on this path has been... That understanding, you know, of, um, I mean, I know also, you also were a mental health practitioner and a, and a therapist, you know, therapist or psychologist. And I went that path too. And I think one of the things that was always missing for me within that work and that clinical frame was the deeper mythos, the deeper archetypal journey of what it means to be a human being and the maps that we have that are within us and that are reflected by the natural world around us that show us this journey and how to be with it. Because I think part of what happens for many of us is when we're going in the descent, we don't believe that there's going to be an ascent. We get stuck down there. And I worked for years and years with people stuck in cycles of addiction and depression and trauma, stuck in the underworld, unable to make the ascent because of messaging, because of the ways in which we get stuck. And I think that there is so much power in understanding the journey and being able to understand that you don't have to stay. It's not about Mm -hmm. staying in the underworld. It is about visiting and it's about finding that aspect that's been lost down there and bringing her back to life. And one of the things that I find so amazing in how mother moves and how, who I would call Magdalene for me moves is just how many of us are on this trail. You know, I, I'm just about to, as we go live with this podcast, offering a course myself on the descent journey and it's around the seven veils and it's the dance of the seven veils and Salome and her. And what was that actually all about? This, that um, we've totally misunderstood what that is, right? The, the The unveiling of self. We think it's a seduction into sexuality. No, it's it's a revealing of the essence of who we are. And it was a ritual and a rite of passage, you know, that she was holding for everybody present. So I just love how um, Mother keeps showing us this way and we find each other on the path. And so I'm hoping that all of you are listening, that you're starting to feel the power of this rose lineage that is really the bedrock or the foundation of our entire mythos here in the occidental west at least this is our world and the reclamation of that and the understanding of that i think is key to the rebirth of not ourselves as individuals but also as a culture which i am sure you also have a lot of thoughts about annabelle but you know what we're going through on the cultural stage and the societal stage right now and one of the things i wanted to pick up from what you just Said earlier that pinged me was how your book, The Serpent's Tale, was really about the rights of women and the abduction of those rights, you know, Mm -hmm. and the especially reproductive rights. Mm -hmm. And I'm just thinking about where we are right now. You know, I'm broadcasting this from the States, and you know, we're we're going through a pretty deep, dark descent Mm -hmm. around that whole piece. And I'm kind of curious on the bigger world stage what you see from your lensing around this story being enacted on the collective level, because I know a lot of us are looking at that too, like for what, where are we? How can we map it onto that too? So I'm curious to hear what you have to say. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So um, my PhD research was actually specifically on the reproductive So I was looking at the role actually that the Holy See plays uh-huh. Um, in, uh, in the UN and the, uh, the huge impact, especially in Latin America um, yeah. that the Catholic Church has the sway. But what was fascinating, now this was back in 1997 mm-hmm. um, I began that research and, at, and I'm studying fundamentalism as part of that. Right. And at the time I remember saying um, that by far the, the fundamentalists that were the most frightening mm-hmm. were not the Islamic fundamentalists that are, are, who were obviously so primary at that time following you know the Iraqi war, mm. but they were the right wing white right male um.
0: Uh, In power in the States. Or the evangelical, that whole alt-right movement that we're living through right now. Absolutely.
1: Because they, Mm -hmm. what's far more scary about them is that, A, they have the power
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and the influence, but they also, on the whole, have the education. So they're coming from a place of education. Yes, yes. Of being educated. And they are holding these Mm -hmm. beliefs. Now, that is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I was not remotely surprised after the Me Too movement yeah. you know, that yes. there was going to be a massive patriarchal oh, clash. Yeah. yeah, I had the, the same thought about yeah. yeah, because okay. the patriarchy, as we all know, is under massive threat. Yeah. You know, that is what's happening in the world. And that's why we're all here. Anyone listening to this, anyone who is on this path, our soul contracted to be here on earth at this time to bring down the patriarchy. Yeah. And, you know, we all know energetically as soon as something like the Me Too movement happens, where women and healthy men supporting us are rising up and saying, no, there is going to be a shadow energetic pushback from the patriarchy mm-hmm. to try to control us and put us back in our place. Mm -hmm. And it is horrific and it is terrifying, but we have to keep fighting and rising up and dismantling the patriarchy. And it will go down. It will go down. That's right. But it's a big fight. And, you know, those of our women who have survived all our stories and now have that strength of what I call the wise woman warrior archetype. You know, we are all rising up collectively, but it's the healthy men, the healthy kings that we really need to collaborate with and co-create with. And of course, this isn't specific to gender. This is um, about traits Hmm. um, that anyone can identify with. But, you know, we really and you see it, you you know, inspires me. I feel full of hope. Mm -hmm. When um, I'm either in circles of um, individuals or witnessing them coming together and saying enough Mm -hmm. is enough. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just utterly committed to to carrying on the fight. And um, there is a possibility of my book, The Serpent's Child, actually being made into a Hollywood film. And my deepest prayer for that
0: mm-hmm. is
1: that that story and the women's rights issues um, and its polemic against the patriarchal religion um, and patriarchal church uh, goes so mainstream mm-hmm. that, that it that it acts as a catalyst, or you know, or joins all the other uh, yeah. movements and things that are happening at the moment to to act as a catalyst. Yeah. Um, so that we all, more of us, rise up. Yeah. Um, to to fight the patriarchy and to dismantle it and to campaign mm. um on behalf, especially of all women. Mm. You know, those of us um in the West, you know, are so privileged to a certain extent. You know, mm. when we compare our lives um, with a lot of women, you know, around the world, and those of us who who have a certain level of freedom, I think it's our absolute duty if we can to keep fighting on behalf of those women in particular. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thank you for saying that. You know, and uh, one of the things that I read just recently that gave me a, a lot of hope was another angle of looking at it. And I shared this quite widely, but if you haven't read it, it was an article by Martha Beck, who's a sociologist here in the US. And she actually was equating what was happening with the extinction, with the scientific. Bent at the extinction theory, which is before something goes extinct, there is, um, like a behavior or, you know, a culture. There is a doubling down that happens. Okay. Um, that is like the final fight before it, okay. it, before it realizes it's over. And that's where we are. We're in the final fight because this whole piece okay. that happened with the Supreme Court justice here in the United States is exactly that. It's a reaction to mm-hmm. just as Trump was a reaction to having a black president. You know, right. like we had our first right. black president and then what do we get at right after? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that the U.S. has because of the nature of how this experiment has been over here is it's all up for the world mm-hmm. to see, right? where nothing, Nothing gets done here in a small way. It's all like the shadow mm-hmm. and the light is extreme here in terms mm-hmm. of how it gets acted out. And mm-hmm. so I think you know, for all of us who are listening is holding that center point, holding the ground. And as Martha Beck was, stay the course. She just said, stay the course. Mm-hmm. Don't give up. Don't assume mm-hmm. that this means that me too didn't work. It means me too worked. <laughs> that's the evidence yes. that we have, you know, is, the, is the, the terror and the rage that's being enacted back as the backlash mm-hmm. is evidence of the level of fear that it instilled in that's those amazing.
1: beings. Yeah, I completely and absolutely agree with all of that. I think that's exactly what's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: fascinating. Well, my love, I could wax lyrical with you for, for forever because there's so many pieces that you just touched on. today. I was like, oh, let's talk more about that. So maybe we'll do this again. But for everybody who's here, you can find out more about Annabelle's work on her website, which is here um, on the podcast page. Please go check out her work and her amazing offerings and just who she is as a person. I just ordered my own copy of The Serpent's Tale from you, by the way, because I haven't read your book. And I, I was like, oh, I really would love to read that. That sounds like just what I need to have in my library right now. So I'm um, inviting all the rest of you to maybe take a peek at that too and to support each other on the journey. You know, th- this is how we r- remember, how we learn is through each other. I want to honor the journey that you've all been on. Please do let me know. Where you are in your descent and ascent. And another interesting piece here, just for those of you who are astrologically minded, is I had a reading just recently, but you can actually track where Venus was in your natal chart to see where you, where you hang out with Venus in terms of her descent or ascent. And, um, that really affects how Venus acts in your own natal chart and in your progressed charts, and so that's an interesting thing to look at. And I, I found mine, and um, my astrology friend said, "Oh, your Venus is hanging out, just getting off the meat hook. You're just getting off the meat hook. That's the station you hold in the underworld. You're like, you made it through, but you're still super raw and tender." And I was like, "Yeah, that sounds like my life." <laughs> And I was like, that has been the theme of my life. And, you know, and I think a lot of why I became a therapist and a healer in that realm was because of that, because I spent a lot of time with people in the underworld, mm-hmm. in that very vulnerable place where we're just being reborn, but we're not out of the dark,
1: mm-hmm. you know.
0: And um so there's something interesting to look at there if you want to feel into an archetypal flavor of how the rose cycle might be, you mm-hmm. know, and... Um, influencing your personal chart or your personal life have a mm. look there um and if you want some help around that ask your astrologer friends because they'll they'll be able to help you see it more clearly but anyway just another little tidbit of 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 the breadcrumbs right of how we can look at it so i want to bow to you and thank you annabelle for being here
1: so much it's mm. good nice.
0: The honour and a pleasure. So, <laughs> so fun, and I'm sure we will have Annabelle back and continue to explore. I've got so many other pieces that I want to talk about in there. For example, all these conjunctions and waxing and waning. I want to understand more about that from your from your lens about the seven stations down and the seven stations up. And I'm going to go now and look at the whole retrograde piece because I think that's a fascinating idea of the the reframing of the the days in the desert not just mm-hmm. of Jesus, but of every spiritual,
1: her, mm-hmm. you know,
0: mm-hmm. aspirant who's ever been, there's always a period where we're taken into our own world, right, in the mm-hmm. desert to really integrate mm-hmm. what it is that we've learned. So mm-hmm. blessings to you, my love, and to everyone else, I look forward to being back with you with another juicy episode of The Right Podcast in just a little bit. Thanks so much, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of The Red Podcast. It's been an honor to have you here with us. As Red Women, we are here leading from the edges of our own evolution, birthing new worlds into being through our bodies, our hearts, our minds, and our beautiful presence. If you would like to be in contact with me, I love hearing from you. You can find me on Instagram at elaine.kalila or over on my website, elainekalila.com. And lastly, I'd like to invite you, if you loved this episode, to go ahead and share this with someone that you think might enjoy it too. It's through us sharing our hearts with one another and inspiring one another that we reveal our red, that evolutionary edge that is just waiting to be fully expressed in all aspects of our world. Until next time, many, many blessings.